Well, hello, and welcome to this new episode of Head and Heart by Probe and Ministries. I'm your host today, Paul Rutherford, and we're going to have a really interesting conversation that I can't wait to have with my esteemed colleague, Sue Bowen. Sue, uh, glad you're here. Welcome. Thanks for inviting me. Love being here. Yeah, thanks. So today we're going to ask the question, how should we think about gender? Mm -hmm. How should we think about gender? Big question. I look forward to diving into that topic. Um, Sue, you've been on the podcast at least once before. For those of us who may be new listeners, why don't you give them a quick bio on, on you and your role around here at Probe? Well, I've been around for decades, and um, I'm probably, what should we call me? The faith and sexuality, faith and marriage, faith and gender, faith and relationships person. That sounds great. (laughs) And on top of that, I'm also the website mistress. Okay. So I actually, if you, if you write to webmistress at probe.org, I just might get it. No so way. That's a real email. I don't remember, <laughs> but I might've set it up as an alias. But it might be. <laughs> it might be. But yeah, it so I'm, be. I'm pretty geeky that way. Yes, you are. And I don't mind. Yes, you are. It's, it's, it's kind of cool. There, it, it goes back to Sitting on the sidelines of the soccer games and soccer practices when my sons were in high school reading HTML for dummies and teaching myself <laughs> DOS wow. 3.0 and wow. computer stuff. Huh? That's yeah. impressive. And you are very faithful serving us and serving the ministry and on the website. Lots of people are blessed by that. So thank you so much. If you're new, Probe Ministries is a Christian worldview and apologetics ministry. We exist to help Christians think biblically about your faith. The uh, I like to say the other six days of the week, not just on Sundays when your pastor is preaching to you. How do you integrate biblical teaching into the rest of your life? How do you live and uh, and breathe and have your being in a way that is biblical from the ground up? That's what we're about here at Probe, and lots of that includes answering questions, hard questions, tough questions. We're not afraid of them. Today is a big question. Today is a good example of that, and we're we're gonna we're gonna get into that. So that's uh that's what's on deck, listener. For you, we um, we just want to acknowledge that gender is a very confusing term, mm-hmm. and mostly if you listen to our culture, if you watch movies or watch TV or read books or listen to the news, if you do any of those things, you're going to get lots and lots of different messages. And so today we want you to attain some kind of clarity, to move more towards clarity on what scripture has to say about this. So that's what's on deck. So Sue, thanks for being willing to have this conversation with me. I am delighted to be here to talk about this. This is one of my favorite issues, my favorite topics. Is it? It has been for decades, literally. I've just, I'm fascinated by it. So given that it's your favorite and you've done this for so long and it's just so big, as I've been saying, I think my first question for you is where, where do we start? Given that it's so big and it's so broad, what kind of a foundation is going to help us have a productive conversation? Well, as Christ followers, as people who take the word of God seriously, we need to go back to the word and see what has God said about gender, about men and women, about human beings, about his creation. And so we need to go back to Genesis 1, where God makes male and female in his image, male and female, he repeats it. And hmm. it's, it's super important that we start with the fact that mankind, the Hebrew word is Adam, which means dirt. <laughs> we are made from the dirt. Mm. Um, that mankind is made in the image of God. And that 
makes us special and unique and infinitely valuable and important because nobody else, nothing else in all creation is made in the image of God. And then God chooses to link the image of God, the imago dei is the Latin phrase for it. He links the image of God to his creation of mankind as male and female. That is incredibly important because what that says is there are only two genders. It doesn't matter what Facebook says about, well, they used to, about 50 plus gender options. That is a lot. It's crazy splintering that has no basis in reality. It's still only male and female. So here at the Hope Center, where Probe's office is, Mm -hmm. periodically they have blood drives. And when I go to give blood, there are more questions that they've ever been asking in the history of blood donations Is that right? these days. Yeah, okay. all they want to know about your sexual history, basically, because ah. people are causing problems with the blood supply hmm. because of sexual sin. Hmm. Um, but there are questions that you have to answer. And one of them that you cannot avoid is, are you male or female? And mm. they don't give you the I prefer not to answer mm. option. And it matters because they're going to treat blood differently. There are different tests that they run on male blood and female blood because that's one of the aspects of our differentiation. We are not just um, people with different genitalia. You know, our bodies Mm -hmm. are incredibly different. There are 6,500 genetic differentiations between male bodies and female bodies, starting with the fact that every cell in a female body is stamped with XX and every cell in a male body is stamped with XY. And so starting there, then you go on to um, bones and muscles and brains and the way we see, the way we hear, the way we process emotions. So many aspects about our maleness and our femaleness are very different. And God brings glory to himself through the differentiation of male and female. And so we need to go back to the reality that there are only two genders. Just as an aside, I will say that there are some people that because of birth abnormalities have something other than XX or XY chromosomes. Okay. But that is a result of the fall. Those would literally be birth defects. It doesn't mean that there's a third gender or a fourth or whatever. It means okay. sometimes things go wrong. It's really no different than being born with a cystic fibrosis or sickle cell anemia or some other variation in the human genome that causes problems. So... What I hear you saying is the the place to start a conversation about gender in order to find clarity amongst confusion in our culture Mm -hmm. is to start with scripture. Absolutely. What I heard you quote was from Genesis 1. Right. Which is the beginning of the Bible. Thank you for clarifying that. The, yes. The very, the, I'm, I'm making some observations. That's right. I, I'm not just repeating back what I hear, but I'm also making an observation. Mm-hmm. We went back to the beginning, we went back to what, how God started everything. Right. And right. what I hear you saying is that it was God's idea. I'm pulling out some ideas here. Yes. Some of it from the text, some of it 
uh, from you as well, but that gender was God's idea, that God made them male and female. It only mentions two. Uh, the first thing you said was that mankind is special. Mm-hmm. Mankind has a special place in the creation because he bears God's image. And that's repeated more than once in the text. Oh, yeah. So in the Old and is, the New Testament, both, right? Yeah, yeah. Man is special and that he's made in, in these two different genders, male mm-hmm. and female. So that was, that was God's idea. And so, therefore, since God made us and... God bless him. Mark Zuckerberg did not make me (laughs) or his company, Facebook. They can't define my who I am. Can't define my gender identity, shall we say. That's right. Despite however many options I may have on my Facebook profile. Yeah. Which I no longer have, by the way. Oh, I understand you. You retreated from Facebook. I I did. I did. I couldn't. I just decided to say no. It was great. Loved it. Had it for a while. But that's a totally different topic. Yeah. So actually, a couple of days ago, I went and checked out Facebook. What okay. what happens what you when find? you create a profile for yourself? And there used to be all those options for gender. Now they just give you a spot to type in whatever, however you define yourself. It's a blank field. It is. Interesting. Uh-huh. They Inter- are not offering you anything anymore, which... It's not real surprising, I guess, because people kept coming up with new genders. And so uh, they just decided to make it, <laughs> let people define their own gender. Yes. So now that we've, now that we're starting to move towards this direction, this raises another question that I have in terms of identity. Who, who am I? How do I define myself? How do I communicate that to others? Mm-hmm. So I guess the big question is, how does this biblical view of gender impact identity? Well, I think what we need to do is go back to what, how God made us and the fact that he made us in his image and he is the one who chooses who he wants us to be. And each one of us is made exactly the way God wanted us with our imperfections, our flaws, the fact that we all live in a fallen world And there are going to be things that we're not going to like about ourselves or whatever, but God made us and it needs to start there. I am made in the image of God. I am fearfully and wonderfully made, Psalm 139 says, and we need to look to the creator for our true identity. So we need to look at God and say, who do you say that I am? It's interesting that Jesus turned to his disciples and said, who are those guys out there saying that I am? And then he said to them, who do you say that I am? Mm -hmm. The interesting thing is Jesus knew exactly who he was. He was not getting information from them. Mm -mm. He already knew everything. But the reality is, as I look at that question is that, Each of us really needs to go to God and say, I am made in your image, so I need to know who you are, so I will know who I am. But I really need to ask God, who do you say that I am? And that's where we get our true identity, is by hearing from God, this is who I made you to be. This is how I made you to be. And that is our true identity. Now, you've got a lot of people talking about living out their authentic self. Yes. 
Okay. Mm-hmm. I would suggest that is actually a false self because often when people are talking living my authentic self, they're talking about their flesh. They're talking about that part of themselves that's operating independently from God. They're going with their thoughts and their feelings and how they identify themselves. Who do I want to be? Instead of looking to God and saying, who did you make me to be? So it's interesting that people can label themselves authentic self, but that doesn't make them their authentic self. I would say that Mm. their true identity, their true authentic self is whoever they're going to be a hundred years from today when they're standing before God and giving an account for the decisions that they made Mm -hmm. and how they responded to God or didn't, what they said about Jesus or didn't. And God is the one who gets to define our true identity. And I would also say that we, we thrive and we live a much better life if we live it in alignment with who God made us to be mm-hmm. and how God made us to be. That's good. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, I, that issue that you raise in terms of where we look to define or to determine our identity, or at least mm-hmm. to understand our identity, who, who it is that we're asking. The distinction that I heard you make there was, are, are, we, are we looking to ourselves? Or are we looking to others to say, who are we? You took the pattern of Jesus as he asked his disciples, who am I? Or we can ask the Lord, mm-hmm. who am I? That, that is such a powerful, powerful question. I know just in my own life, in my own walk with the Lord, that one question has been transformative. Really? Why is that? Absolutely transformative. Well, just going to the Lord and acknowledging that my identity is based in him, Mm. you know, credit to Hillsong, the song that they sing, I am who you say I am. And that's powerful for me because I, in my whatever, in my flesh, in my family background, in my 21st century post-enlightenment American uh, enculturation, define myself by myself. It's kind of the American sentiment of, you know, I'm going to pull myself up by my bootstraps. I'm going to say who I am. I'm going to, I'm the captain of my fate. I, <laughs> I, I control my destiny. Right. Uh, all of these um, sentiments that I feel like I picked up in my, whatever, childhood, early mm-hmm. years, formative years, well-meaning though they were, it very much communicated to me that I define who I am. And intentionally or not, I picked it up mm-hmm. and I owned it and I said, I want to be this. I want to be known as the smart kid. I want to be known as the kid who can press people with words or, you know, what and that that was just in my case. And so I define myself that way. But inevitably in my fallenness, I, I fail and I break and mm-hmm. it, it, I experience pain and it's difficult. But as I take my identity to the Lord, I recognize that he defines who I am and that is not contingent. There's no failure on his part. He didn't mess it up. <laughs> and I've experienced tremendous freedom liberation. Mm-hmm. It's been tremendous. Anyway, we're a bit of a, on a tangent here, but in terms of the, the impact and the power of that question of finding identity in our creator, as opposed to ourself is a huge, huge distinction. Yeah. Good stuff, Paul. And here's the interesting thing is that now people are being asked, how do you identify? Which is basically another way of saying, what is your self-chosen identity? Mm. And in some, especially with kids, how do you identify today? You know, so that's why we've got a part of our gender brokenness in our culture, which we'll talk about in a minute, I hope. Um, you've got 
sixth graders who are identifying as a girl one day and identifying as a boy the next Hmm. because they're not looking to God to say, who am I according to your definition? Hmm. They're looking in the mirror and saying, who do I want to be? How do I feel about myself? And so I just think it's so much better if we teach people to go back to the original creation. What did God intend in the very beginning? One of the things I'd love to share is my observation. Well, it's I didn't observe this. Some wise people way in the past have observed. Uh-huh. What's that? That the origin of gender is God himself. But God is not gender restricted. Hmm. God is not male. God is not female. God is the headwaters of gender, of maleness and femaleness. That was amazing. Will you repeat that one more time? That God is the headwaters of gender. Okay. And that he's not male. He's he's beyond gender. He's beyond male. He's beyond female. Now, here, I'm really, I've been camped out in Genesis 1 for months, okay? Okay. I'm thinking before the creation, the triune God, as they're sitting there loving each other, enjoying themselves with each other for all eternity, right? There is no gender restriction in God that way. However, when Jesus incarnated and wrapped himself in human flesh and came to earth, he, the son became a human male. And so we can say that God is male in terms of the person of Jesus Christ, the incarnate son of God come to earth. Now, yes, Jesus was male. Jesus still is male, always will be. Jesus the man. Yes. And so, which is so cool that in this beautiful Godhead of father, son, and spirit, Right now, in heaven, there is a human being sitting in the Godhead, (laughs) which is amazing. I love that. A male human being is now part of the Godhead. Something huge changed, you know, when Jesus became male. But God himself, although he is referred to in male pronouns all the way through the Bible, it doesn't mean he's male. And so needless to say, he couldn't understand what it is for me, you know, to be a woman because, you know, God's male. No, he isn't. He generates masculinity and maleness. He generates femininity and femaleness because he is beyond gender. And so all the beautiful, glorious things about male and female come from God himself. Mm, That's so good. That's so good. And I hope that's so affirming to women who have a, sorry to say, a track record of being abused and neglected and and hurt. And uh, so I appreciate a lot of the the work of movements in the past to to extol the value of women because I think it's biblical in that sense. And And I love that you pointed out because I don't think we can exhaust the profound nature of that statement that God is the author of femininity. Right. It was his idea. Absolutely. It's it's almost insulting to insinuate that he couldn't understand what it means to be a woman. Well, because Jesus wasn't female. That's what I was told growing up. I was raised in a faith tradition that said that since Jesus was a boy, he cannot understand what it is to be a girl. So that's why you need to talk to his mom. That's what I was taught. I see. I do no longer accept that. So I love the aspects of femininity and masculinity coming from the heart of God that I see unfolding in scripture. So for example, one of my favorite names for God is God Almighty, El Shaddai, 
okay, in the Hebrew, that means the strong-breasted one. The root word of Shaddai, Mm S-H-A-D, means breast. Hmm. And so it's this idea of God wants to nurse us. He, when, when we are nurturing each other, we are drawing on the mother heart of God because God is mother. He is father. Um, he's both of those things. And we see feminine characteristics ascribed to God throughout the Bible. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we see God described as a nursing mother as uh, a hen gathering her chicks under her. There you go. And so, mm-hmm. you know, there are feminine descriptions of God. It doesn't mean God is female. It means that our femaleness and our femininity comes from God. And of course, God is a strong tower and he's a refuge and strength and he is our protector and he is our provider mm-hmm. and, and all the, the glorious strength of masculinity comes from God, just like the glorious beauty of femininity comes from God. So, mm, so we're getting all of our wonderful gender stuff from God himself. That's so good. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. And so today we're asking the question, how should we think about gender? How should we think about gender? That's kind of the, the the bullseye of the target we're talking about today, the question that we're pursuing. And we've been recently talking about identity. How does a biblical view of gender impact our identity? That's been, just to recap, some of the conversation we've had so far, Sue, thank you for bringing so many of these insights. I think they're they're tremendous. And so I think the last question that I have for you, this is, this is on a related topic, so we're kind of already getting there. But in order to, well, if I, if I coined a phrase, gender brokenness, mm-hmm. the brokenness about gender... Where and how do you see that manifested in in culture? Well, first of all, the reason gender is broken is because of the fall. In Genesis 3, we always have to go back to Genesis. In Genesis 3, man and woman decided to rebel against God. When they did that, all of creation broke. Every aspect of creation broke. There's still a lot of beauty and amazingness to God's creation, but there's this brokenness and we particularly see it in human beings and our sense of ourselves, our um, sense of who the other gender is, all of that broke and nothing is the way it used to be. And one of the things that I am indebted to Nancy Piercy for, she's the author of Total Truth And her most recent book, Love Thy Body, is phenomenal in terms of a biblical, wise view of gender. She points out that there are some illegitimate splits in the thinking in the culture. Uh Instead of everything being a cohesive unit, a whole, where all of life is under the lordship of Jesus and everything connects to everything else, In our culture, we have broken apart things that really shouldn't be broken apart. One of them is the person body split where people think, okay, so I have have this physical body on the outside, but who I really am, how I think of myself, how I feel, the real me is on the inside. And that is my true identity. And my body is just like, it's a case. It's kind of like everybody's walking around with a case for their mobile phones. And the case is like, that's not my phone. That's just the outside protector for the, the real phone. 
And people are thinking the same way about their bodies. You know, I'm, it's something disposable. It's not important. And what matters is how I think and feel about myself. And so if my outside doesn't match my inside, well, I'll either disregard my body and, you know, f- pursue whatever my heart tells me I want. Or um, I'll try to get somebody to fix my outsides to match my insides, which is how we end up with people taking um, puberty blocker, giving puberty blockers to children and taking cross-sex hormones and then going into the OR and mutilating absolutely healthy bodies which is just breaks my heart because people say, I want my outside to match my inside. So I want you to cut off the body parts that I don't like. Oof. Yeah. And so, I mean, that, um, that is just as broken thinking as someone, for example, who's anorexic. And let's say they're, they're 80 pounds. They've starved themselves mm-hmm. down to 80 pounds because right. when they look in the mirror, they see a fat cow. And they say, I can't, I need to get skinnier. I need to get smaller and smaller. Can you imagine an 80 pound anorexic person going to a doctor and saying, because I see myself as a fat cow, I want you to perform liposuction on me. I want you to get rid of every ounce of fat underneath the skin on me. So, so my outside can match my inside. And that's kind of what's happening with the gender brokenness of those who want to cut off healthy body parts so that their outside can match their inside. Yeah. And that, by the way, that doesn't work real well. We Now we know that those who go through gender uh-huh. reassignment surgeries end up 19 times more likely to commit suicide than those who don't. Wow. So that comes out of more likely mm -hmm. to commit suicide. Right. And this comes out of Scandinavia, which is very, very friendly toward transgender. So that is a perfect example of gender brokenness. And, And another one of those illegitimate splits that hasn't been around that long is dividing sex and gender and saying, and they used to be interchangeable. And now we're saying that your sex is your biology. It's it's the body, they use the phrase, assigned at birth. Nobody's assigning a gender at birth who's just taking a look at when a baby is born. We go, mm-hmm. it's a boy, it's a girl. It really is that easy. Okay. But people are saying, well, that's one thing, but your gender is who you feel like you are on the inside. And they're splitting these into two different illegitimate splits they're making it's it's like taking an apple and cutting it in half and now you have two halves of the apple and god's intention is for us to be whole people of integrity where everything hangs together okay so that last part that i heard you saying in terms of the question is gender brokenness where where do we see gender brokenness in our culture how does that manifest itself and the last thing i heard you say was was creating a false dichotomy i, mm-hmm. I my phrase false dichotomy uh, what did you call it a uh, what does nancy piercy call it it's a division or split yes a split a, a worldview split mm-hmm. that's that's um improper shall we say right. and in this case it was sex and gender where one is mm-hmm. i'm just going to go for it you can correct me when I, how i'm wrong but one's maybe anatomical or biological and mm-hmm. the other one is maybe more psychological like how i understand myself right. my anatomy i have physiology i have anatomy 
but I also have a self understanding. I, I think of my, I conceive of myself as male, female, mm-hmm. or whatever the other genders are. Right. And so that's, that's one split that's, that's distinction right. that's made today between sex and gender. And but, I hear you saying mm-hmm. that that is a, that is an improper split. Correct. Because God made us to be integrous, to be all one, Behold. not not to have a dichotomy of the inside and the outside, because mm. we are all he made us body and spirit. And that was his good intention when he created us. And so we need to to see that as as a unified whole. So I'll make this my last comment and then Sue, I will give you the last word. But this, uh, this question of identity and how we identify ourselves, how we mm-hmm. determine it, that process, that was something we talked about a minute ago. I just wanted to bring this up because it, it reminds me of um, a book by Carl Truman that I've been working on this year, The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. And he's, he's an academic and he wanted to ask the question academically, uh, where do we define self or how, how does the modern contemporary Westerner define self? And he started... Oh, I want to say probably four, five, six hundred years ago, in terms of um, in academic pursuit, how how does the Westerner conceive of himself, and how did we get to where we are, particularly with uh, phrases like "I used to be male" or "I used to be male, female," and I've transitioned. And uh, one of the ways that he describes that book project is is to mention that if you told your grandparents that phrase, they would laugh at you, mm-hmm. not because they're making fun of you, but just because of the sheer absurdity of the statement, how, how is that even possible? Sure. And so then he raises the question, well, how, how did we move as a culture to where that's laughably absurd? No one can conceive of it to now, not only is that possible, but, uh, it needs to be accepted by everyone. Otherwise <laughs> you get mocked or jeered or made fun of or canceled, shall we say, yeah. if, if you don't. And so that's kind of the the context around the, his question of in term, uh, of identity, the individual identity. How, mm-hmm. how do we define it? Anyway, interesting book. I, I find it interesting. I do recommend you go check it out. Uh, but one of the key things that he, that I, I'm learning as I'm working through the book uh, is that he, uh, he would say that we have, as a Western culture, we have landed in kind of an expressive individualism, which is that each person is their own individual, and the highest value is to express myself. The highest value is to discover myself, to look inward, who am I, and then express that, and then communicate mm. that to others. And I, when you were talking about um, those who have, shall we say, transitioned genders, who who say, I have this conception of myself as this one gender, I was born another way i'm probably i'm blundering all the terms uh, the sex and gender i'm blundering that mm-hmm. that term but then they either get medication or they go under surgery to change the physical to match their psychological mm-hmm. I, I think that you know to without putting words in carl truman's mouth that sounds like according to the way he thinks about it that's that's an example of expressive individualism this individual thinks of themselves one way so therefore i'm going to change my physical reality in order to match it mm-hmm. good point Anyhow, I thought that was relevant to our conversation and how we conceive of ourselves. It's more it's more than just gender confusion, shall we say. It's I think it's I think he would say it's built into our conception of the self, whether you're transitioning gender or not. That's generally true of of uh, most westerners. We're trying to discover self and then express it. And so therefore, what I hear you saying, Sue, in terms of how to think about gender biblically, to go the commendation to go back to scripture, to go back to Genesis, to go back Mm -hmm. to what the creator has done, the way he has created us is therefore also helpful for those who 
aren't questioning their gender, who aren't considering transitioning. Because again, he's the one who's going to define us, not ourselves. There you go. So um, we need to wrap, but I'll give you the last word, anything you want to say or conclude. There is one other thing that I wanted to share. And that is that the Bible begins and ends with a wedding. In the beginning, it's Adam and Eve are, you know, God brings them together as husband and wife. At the end of Revelation, it's Christ and the church, um, the, the lamb and the bride. And those two bookends to the Bible are extremely important because the marriage relationship of husband and wife is, is an earthbound illustration of this incredibly important spiritual concept of the close connection between God and his people, um, of the unity and the differentiation in this marriage, Yahweh and Israel in the Old Testament, Christ in the church in the New Testament. And so that's why that's cool. male and female being different, being made for each other, both physically, the pieces fit perfectly, psychologically, the pieces fit perfectly, spiritually, the, the souls fit perfectly. Um, it's so beyond how do I feel about myself? It's about glorifying God as we point toward the relationship between God and his people. So gender is way beyond anatomy. There's a profound spiritual implication to it, which is one of the reasons why I love this topic. <laughs> <laughs> that is really cool. Thank you for pointing that out. That Even that observation just sounds fascinating. God began his book with a wedding, and he ended his book with a wedding. I'm sure there's a lot that could be said for that. <laughs> Suffice to say that marriage is important to him. Oh, amen. And he likes weddings. And so I love how that gives us, I don't know what to say, a, a metaphor, a literary figure of the importance of gender to God. Amen. And how it's so far beyond, like you just said, it's, it's so much more than feelings. It's so much more even than expressive individualism. God has chosen in his sovereignty to include gender in his plan for creation. Absolutely. And it's, it's part of what he's doing and what part of what he's created and part of the story he's writing, mm-hmm. shall we say. So it's so much more than just any particular person wanting this or that. Right. God didn't have to make two genders. He's he made some organisms that are capable of asexual reproduction. Mm. It's so much more glorious to do it this way <laughs> because it points to yes. spiritual truth. Mm. That's fascinating. Well, Sue, uh, this has been a really interesting conversation, a wonderful conversation. Listener, I, I hope you've got a lot out of it. If you were in some ways confused about what gender is or should be, I hope this has been a helpful uh, instruction for you, uh, a helpful pointer for where you can go to determine what scripture does have to say about your gender, all gender. And um, if you have more questions, Sue, you have lots of posts at our website. Right? I do. You can go ahead Probe. and check out. Probe.org. Probe.org. Yes, thank you. Feel free to, to, to do that. Check out the website. There's lots more issues that we answered lots of questions that many of which we didn't even address today on this podcast mm-hmm. maybe we'll do some on future podcasts i hope okay. so uh but i've really enjoyed my conversation with you sue thank you for coming in and talking with me it's been a blessing paul always is <laughs> thanks and then listener we will see you next time